Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Welcome to GM Shuffle. My name is Tate Frazier, and I am filling in for the great Adnan Verk, who is not going to be in studio for the next couple of shows, and that has led to the return. And I'm very excited to say, Mr. Michael Lombardi, I'm happy to be back on the air with you. How are you, Lombardi? I'm good, Tate Frazier. I'm following you on Twitter. I'm loving this. And I, I, I got to say, I mean, my man AD, he's over in Saudi Arabia. I'm sure he's probably looking. I, I got a feeling he might be, you know, mixing with some of those big time people over there. We got to make sure he doesn't go to any of those uh, foreign embassies because that ain't a good thing over in Saudi Arabia. However, that being said, I'm proud of my man taking that flight over there. I wonder how many movies you think he got in on that flight. How many movies did you watch when you went to Hawaii? I was going to say this. I would say the line's probably, what, like three and a half, four and a half movies for Adnan on that flight? He's probably going to knock it out. He'll probably go through the classics. You know, you know, he's a very, you know, classy individual. He'll watch a bunch of movies. And, you know, I was just there in Maui for the Maui Invitational when you brought up Lombardi. I only was able to watch two movies, one of them being Dumb and Dumber. But I, I more blame United for the limited options on the flight. So I know Adnan, <laughs> Adnan's not going to be happy about that. So uh, that, that's the best I could do, Lombardi. Yeah. I'm back in North Carolina. I'm happy to be here with my family. Went to the North Carolina-Ohio State game last night for for the ACC Big Ten Challenge. It, it didn't go that well for North Carolina, but, you know, I'm going to push through, uh, and hopefully good things will be on the other side. So, yes, sir, I'm I'm very happy to be home, and uh, it's great to be back on the line with you. It's it's uh, All good things are happening at the end of 2019 for me, and uh, this, this is probably one of the highlights. You're going to have a big 2020. Now, and you and Titus are have a, your podcast back again, and tell people how you can get that. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So uh, myself and Mark Titus, we had a, a podcast together about college basketball. We've had now two iterations of that. This would be the third iteration, and the podcast is called Titus and Tate. We kept it very simple this time. Uh, TNT, we don't know drama, uh, but we do know dropping bags. That's uh, that's sort of the tagline for the new iteration of the <laughs> podcast. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we sort of just doing it for fun, Lombardi. I uh, I left to the, uh, the ringer to go, you know, work and, uh, you know, try to do some stuff in independent film. I've been, you know, working on, you know, some of the screenplay ideas I've had and just some other different creative things. And as you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not just a town on the air. So if you're judging me right now and you're saying, I really miss Adnan, I miss him too. But I, uh, I also produce stuff. So I have some other value uh, out in this world. So I've been working on uh, producing a few projects and, and getting that stuff lined up. And uh, Mark Titus, he, he left the ringer and we kind of talked to each other and said, let's just talk about college basketball and let's do it for fun. So again, that's uh, Titus and Tay. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, all the above. And uh, we've now done three episodes. Just had Greg Oden on yesterday um, in Durham, North Carolina. Did a live show at the Carolina Theater, the beautiful Carolina Theater in Durham. Uh, Dave Chappelle is going to be the next show there after us, Lombardi. Um, so you sure you got his dressing room before he did, huh? That's awesome. I did I did. I, I made sure to sign the wall where they told me he was going to sign it, which is right near uh, where Stevie Nicks had signed the wall. So uh, oh, nice. I, I did the best. I, yeah, I did the best I could, Lombardi. I thought you'd be proud of all that. So uh, oh, I would have taken a picture of the Stevie Nicks one. I, <laughs> I promise you, I would have taken a picture of that. You know, the hardest thing I had in life, Tate, for this is how old I am, right? So I'm at Valley Forge Military Academy okay. dying in the freaking winter. Oh, yes. You know, and Fleetwood Mac's rumors comes out. And, you know, this is back when, oh, yes. unlike this generation where – 
You know, the only way you could hear music is you had to play it on your stereo and you had to play it. Well, Valley Forge, you know, you had very limited time to do that. It was the hardest thing trying to figure out who Stevie Nicks was when the picture, like, is she Lindsey Bucking? Because you couldn't figure it out. Like, no one was named Stevie, <laughs> yes. right? Like, Stevie's got to be the boy, yes. right? And he, he, like, you heard this voice on Dreams and you've heard all these incredible, the way she sang. That was, every time I think of Stevie Nicks, I think of the rumors covered. I think of me sitting in my penitentiary there at Valley Forge Military Academy wondering, <laughs> who the hell is Stevie Nicks? Yeah, Lindsey. Lindsay and Stevie were the greatest flip ever because you thought you would assume who Lindsay was and who Stevie was. And then, of course, uh, <laughs> exactly everyone had it worked out the wrong way. I guess it ended up just being secondhand news for everyone else. You know what I mean? You figured out later on <laughs> in life uh, who they <laughs> actually segue. were. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, Lombardi, I'm happy to be on the line with you. And I know a lot of people here are like, okay, let's stop talking about uh, you guys having your reunion special. We're basically turning into a, a friend's reunion special at this point. But let's <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh, what's happening on the football field. And again, you mentioned I'm in North Carolina. And the big news around the state of North Carolina right now is that the Carolina Panthers and owner David Tepper, you know, there's been a lot of contemplation on his part. Uh, David Tepper was trying to decide what this new iteration, what his version of the Carolina Panthers would look like. We knew what it was, you know, when when Jerry left and obviously you had the Super Bowl 50 fallout and Ron Rivera is, you know, still with the team, with the team for nine years. And then, you know, they have this game against Atlanta where people started pointing fingers and say, hey, you know, we'll see what happens with Rivera. Will this finally be, you know, the end for him? And of course, you know, they lose to Washington, a team that we have talked about, about ad nauseum with the struggles that they've had over the years. Uh, they lose at home 29 to 21. And then, you know, basically the decision was made at the top that Ron Rivera will no longer be the head coach with the Carolina Panthers. And before we get into sort of the minutia of what this will look like and what the next steps will be for the Panthers. Just your first thoughts on Ron Rivera and what he did in his nine years with the Carolina Panthers. You know, Ron was an interesting guy. When you break him down and and you study what he's kind of was able to accomplish, he's had these incredible years where you know one year mm-hmm. went fifteen and one when Cam was was the best player, and you know I think he had thirteen and three. I mean, he had like incredible double digit seasons, and then then he would always have these bad years. One year he went to the playoff at seven, eight, and one, and so three of his nine years he had great seasons. The other six, one playoff and five bad ones. There really wasn't a sustainable culture that he built there that you could say has kind of gone along. And I think that when Tepper took over the team, the new owner, I thought I felt like Tepper was going to see that as something that he couldn't really get to. And and I think he kind of lets it out there in his in his statement where he says make a, he wants to make a culture where people will try new things, not afraid to make mistakes, and if they make mistakes, fix a mistake, not be afraid to get yelled at for a mistake, but fix it. And I think that's a hard thing to do in pro football is to get someone like Ron, who is from an old school, who's kind of done it his way, used to doing it his way, to kind of change and adapt to a new way to where you know Ron was very stoic. He kind of had his way of wanting to do it. And for him, change was hard. And I think Tepper and him were never going to be a good marriage. I applaud Tepper because I think Tepper was willing to give him time to see if he could see that, you know, and go through the year. And then once he made a decision, you know, Tepper was transparent and said, you know what, I'm not going to go search for coaches. I'm going to fire him right now. And it is pretty interesting. Like you said, David Tepper had to kind of go out on a limb here because, you know, Ron Rivera is the all-time winningest coach with the Carolina Panthers. He's obviously a guy that, you know, he's been in this league for 33 years. And I remember when he was hired in 2011, there was this whole story about how Ron Rivera had told Jerry Richardson at the time that he only wanted to coach eight to 10 years in the NFL, right? He wanted to be a head coach for 
that amount of period because he didn't want to basically hang on too long. And now, you know, he spends nine years in Carolina. He has these great moments. And you got a guy like Greg Olson, who, again, he's never been on a team that has lost his head coach. Um, and, he, and he basically comes out and said it was, you know, one of the most tragic, saddest days he's had as a football player. And it was because of what Ron Rivera meant as a person to this team. You saw uh, in the press conference afterwards, you know, the, the Rivera was choked up. Luke Keekley you know, kind of came out and said that, you know, how, how much he meant to him and all this stuff. Perry Fuel, who's taken over uh, as the interim head coach of Carolina, just said, we all love Ron. So it, it, to me, Lombardi, obviously we talk about the games and how things play out. And, and Ron Rivera even said in his press conference, it comes down to wins and losses, but this is about the relationships I have with these guys. This is my team. So even if it is, even the, if it does end the way that it did in Carolina with Tepper having to move on and Rivera, you know, kind of being the guy that has to take the fall and fall on the sword, you know, what does it mean just from a football standpoint, just looking at the game to see someone with the kind of class and respect in that locker room? Because usually when these things end, it's because the locker room is lost or, or, or something like that. Yeah. But Rivera seemed to have full respect on the way out. And obviously he's probably going to get an, an, another opportunity just because of the words that were said about him as he walked out the door. You know, I think he, you know, being an ex-player certainly helps. And I think that mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, he was not – you know, he didn't blame anybody. He wasn't sitting there saying, you know, they gave me a shitty offensive line. You know, I want a contract extension. I mean, he was a man's man. I mean, you can say, hey, he had three winning seasons in nine years and one mediocre and then, you know, and all that. You can break down the record. But I think he was a man's man. And, And I think the players respect that. I don't think he was afraid of confrontation. I don't think he was afraid to tell a player he wasn't doing good. He clearly wasn't afraid to make changes. He fired some coaches. He brought new coaches in. He admitted mistakes. So, you know, the, the the interesting thing is Twitter's so funny, right? You know, Sunday after the game, you know, everybody's talking about how, you know, this guy's got to get fired. He can't, you know, Ron Rivera's such a shitty coach. He can't play, you know. And then Tuesday after he gets fired, they're like, well, he'll be the first guy to get hired for another job. I mean, it's like, <laughs> seriously? I And I think, to me, that what bothers me about this, you know, who's going to get hired, this guy and that guy, is I think you really have to know what you want in a coach. And I think that Tepper – and I don't know Tepper, and I'm not trying to get a job with Tepper, so I'm not blowing smoke up his ass. But I think Tepper gets it. I think I think when you said when they asked the question, "What will you be looking for in an offensive coordinator type?" and he goes into this in the modern NFL, I think there's a preference to offensive coordinators. But I think here's the key. Here's what I think the key he says. He says, "I want somebody who's got an innovative process, but an old school discipline." because the NFL rules have been adapted towards offense. And he wants somebody who's analytical and smart. I mean, when I read his quotes, Tate Frazier, there's really only one guy he's going to try to hire. There's only going to be one guy he's going to try to hire. In these words, if these words mean anything, there's only one guy he's going to try to hire, and that's Josh McDaniels. There's Mm. no way. Because McDaniels fits this profile that he described better than anything. And when you're looking, this is what happens to so many companies, and I've said this in all the presentations I give. The FBI doesn't search for serial killers in the phone book, right? They don't just say, oh, let's go look (laughs) for see if somebody is a serial killer. They have a profile. And what Tepper gave in this interview was a specific profile of what he wants. And there's very few and far between people that fit this profile. Now, you could say, does Zach Taylor fit this profile? No, because I don't think Zach Taylor intellectually is challenging. Does Matt LaFleur fit this profile? No, because I don't think Matt LaFleur is an old school tough guy, right? I don't think Mm -hmm. that, you know? And I think that when you look at this profile, the combination of what he's looking for 
is somebody who's got toughness, and it's hard to find with offensive coaches. Guys that listen to this podcast, offensive coaches that are play callers, I think it's really important you have to prove to everybody that you've got toughness, that you're not going to go indoors during practice because you need the perfect practice. You're going to make your team tougher. You know, the Clapper brought his team outside to practice this week. They didn't practice outside when they played New England, by the way. FYI, that's just one. There's a perfect example of a guy who's supposed to be an offensive coach who's not real tough. And I think what Tepper's describing is Josh McDaniels. And I think th- this is the first step, if you're a Panther fan, to realizing you got a great owner. You have a great owner because this owner gets it. You know, he wants a coach that has analytical skills and can adapt to the innovative process. He wants an assistant. I want. He wants an operations guy, a foot assistant GM, and he wants he wants a combination of people so he doesn't get confirmation bias. And he's building an organization that way, and I think it's fabulous. It is fabulous, and it is interesting, too, because you know I think one of the problems probably with the Panthers fan base, right, is you go from an, an old-school, all-the-way type of Jerry Richardson to the max, and then you have a guy like Tepper come in, and Tepper has tried to play both sides. You know what I mean? He wanted to take the regime that was there and try to groom them into what he wanted his vision of the Carolina Panthers to be, and that's why I thought his quote was so perfect when he was talking about Rivera. He said, I just thought it was time, right? So the time is now for Dave Tepper to really put his stamp on what he wants his Panthers team to be and I find it interesting that you pointed out McDaniels because the only other name that came to mind and again he signed a five-year contract I believe last year uh, it was the guy that took Josh McDaniels spot in Indianapolis which was Frank Reich and those two guys Josh McDaniels and Frank Reich are two offensive-minded guys but they also have like you said that old kind of football mentality where they're not afraid to show a little grit and grind and get out there and make things happen and uh, the the interesting part to me Lombardi when you bring up McDaniel someone you know you're familiar with at some level and when Josh decided not to go to Indianapolis we talked about that uh, on the old podcast on GM Street how you know that we didn't know if that would affect him in the future would he get other opportunities to be a head coach or does everyone kind of view him as the head coach and waiting there with Belichick but with with things with how they're playing out in New England and and the way Brady is, is some of this back and forth that's going on do you do you believe that it would be one of those situations where McDaniels could go down there and get convinced by an owner like Dave Tepper to kind of come and and be the guy, be the face of this new regime for the Carolina Panthers because it does make sense to me. And I think you know there's a there's a little bit of respect down the line between the Panthers and uh, you know just some of the even the Monday Night Football games we've had with the Patriots and the Panthers. And if Super Bowl yeah. if Super Bowl Fifty had worked out any differently, if Owen Daniels isn't making amazing catches against the Patriots. You know what I mean? There could have been Patriots versus Panthers yeah. there in that Super Bowl. So uh, there's all different no variations of how it could have played out. But McDaniel seems like he would fit. And you you obviously mentioned that before. But do you think this would be a time he would actually make the jump to go down to Carolina? I think, you know, when you're when you are in demand and you're a coach that's not, not going to say yes to everything. And obviously Josh has turned down numerous jobs. And whether he he's willing to take a job, he's always willing to take a job in in December, but he seems to be reluctant to take one at the end of January and the beginning of February. So we're in the season that Josh is willing to take one. And I think, you know, he has to ask himself the fundamental question is, is what job am I going to take? But I think that's the wrong question is what owner do I want to work for? And I Mm -hmm. think that's really the fundamental question you've got to answer is like this league, the more you become invested in this league, the more you understand why teams win, why teams lose, it really comes back to the ownership. It, it falls right there. You can fire Dave Gettleman and and John and uh, and Pat Shermer at the Giants, but until John Mara changes, that ain't going to matter. It's not going to matter. That the ownership's broken there, and what Tepper brings here is is stable ownership who's looking for a specific coach who's innovative and doing things that fits your profile. I don't know if you're going to get a better marriage than that. 
Now, you know, maybe you won't get along with the analytical people he wants to bring in in terms of personnel, like what personnel guy, you know. And, I, I mean, the shocking thing for me is how he's adapted to Marty Herney. I mean, he thinks Marty Herney, the general manager, is a, is a fabulous personnel guy. I don't know. I've never worked with Marty Herney. I've just – I don't think they're as fabulously talented as maybe Tepper does, but he obviously has worked with them, so he knows. And I, I wouldn't question somebody as intelligent as Tepper on that area. So – you know, I mean, I think you're right. I think the Frank Wright notion is really good. I think Frank Wright would be another perfect guy for him. Because, look, nobody really knew what Frank Wright did in, in Philly. You know, Frank yep. Wright couldn't get the University of Buffalo job. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what he did in Philly. Now we know what he did in Philly. By the way, Philly's not playing good. So I think there's a little bit of that. And I think, you know, old school, offense tough, you've got to be innovative. Does that mean Greg Roman? You know, because Roman runs a tough school. And I think Roman would be a candidate, too, because he fits it. He's a smart guy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, when it, I'm just in my mind as you're talking through these guys. I mean, th- there could be so many different packages and variations that would kind of fit with this Panthers team. But it is also, you know, kind of a larger question to see, will Dave Tepper completely move on from the Super Bowl 50 team, which is basically moving on from Cam Newton? Obviously, Cam Newton just had uh, foot surgery. And uh, a lot of people are still trying to figure out what the, the team will look like next year, probably including Dave Tepper um, and, and working through that. But you mentioned ownership and the ownership being the reason why – teams either win succeed or or, you know or things don't quite work out as we've seen in Washington with Dan Snyder over the years but I kind of want to talk about you know back from the ownership down to the coaches is there a as we look across the landscape obviously Ron Rivera leaves the Panthers the Panthers have this now the situation to figure out what the future looks like I kind of want to run through these other teams that may have a, a similar position coming up as we move you know later in the season and the first team I want to talk about is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, four and eight right now. We get Doug Marone. Doug Marone and this defense, you know, a couple of years ago, and we remember the Blake Bortles, you know, AFC game, AFC title game up there in New England when he made a, you know, a, a nice little stand for himself and we were making the Blake Bortles jokes. I, I remember you wore a Blake Bortles jersey at one point, Lombardi, <laughs> when you were doing a little show. Yeah, you know, I haven't heard from, you know, the guy I've never heard from anymore is, is your boy, a big cat. I mean, ever since, you know, he gave me shit about Mitchell Trubisky, he gave me shit about Bortles, right? Mm. I haven't heard from him. He's going. I mean, is he in the witness protection program? I don't know. I haven't heard from him at all. He must. He be. might be out in Phoenix with Sammy the Bull <laughs> or something. But I mean, I say that kiddingly. He was. He's very. He's oh, fine about it. Of but, course. You know. I mean, but I haven't heard from him. All those Blake Bortles people. Wonder what. Wonder what you can get a Blake Bortles jersey for now. Probably as cheap as a Redskin ticket. Absolutely. And then you know, if you just watch the Rams games, you can always see Blake Bortles on the sideline. You know, he's got the clipboard in his hand. He's doing it. He's doing a good job, Lombardi. I'll say that. He's not quite the clapper on the sideline. Line, but he's working hard. Uh, but let's talk. About, let's talk about his old <laughs> Nobody's coach. Nobody's the clapper. Nobody's clapping that hard. Uh, let's look at the old coach. Uh, you know, Doug Marone. He, he had things working out pretty well, but now the Jaguars have kind of uh, things have definitely just hit a ceiling. Nick Foles looked yeah. like he wasn't even the same guy we had seen uh, with Philadelphia. Which he's the biggest conundrum in sports. That's probably a, a larger discussion for a different day. But uh, Doug Marone and this Jaguars team. Do you see? Do you think he might be the next guy on the chopping block, or, or should we move down the list? And yeah, then, no, I yeah. do. I, I think. Sh- I I think Khan, the owner there, I mean, he's had one winning season. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's had one non-10 losing season, 10-game losing season since 2010. Wow. He, and David Caldwell has more first-round picks on the Rams than he does on his own team. He's been his general manager since 13. I, I think Khan needs to have a conversation with himself. Like, you talk about organizations being screwed up and built the wrong way. This is clearly the Jacksonville Jaguars. Marone is, is in a horrendous spot. You can blame Marone, but you bring Coughlin in as the executive football czar. You keep Caldwell there, so you've got all this confirmation bias. you got you got Caul- I mean, 
Tom Coughlin is not going to change who he is. You know, he's going to sit at the 20-yard line at the Indianapolis Combine. He's going to time the 20s. He's going to draft size and speed. He's come from one system. And Marone and him, you know, it's hard for them to get on the same page. They're not, they haven't grown together. And Khan's got to ask himself the question, do I fire Marone? And if I replace him, do I fire everybody and start anew? Or do I just make Tom Coughlin the head coach? I think that's really what he comes down to. He either makes Coughlin the head coach or he fires Coughlin and starts all over again. Is there a chance, Lombardi, in our in our heart of hearts that Tom Coughlin, like you said, steps, let's say at the top con goes, I want to have Tom Coughlin there on the sideline. I trust him. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. And then Tom Coughlin is watching Monday Night Football and he sees Eli Manning, who's 116 and 116 all time, and he's trying to prove that he's an above 500 quarterback. He somehow wins this Monday Night Football game. Tom Coughlin says, that's my quarterback. Let's bring him down to Jacksonville. And we get what we always wanted, the reunion of Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville. I, I can't even imagine. Or is that too far-fetched? I think that's too far I mean, there's nobody <laughs> who could buy that. You couldn't sell that. I don't think you could sell that to anybody. <laughs> I don't think Bella would buy that. I don't think there's any chance you could. I mean, I think Eli, this could get ugly for Eli. I mean, he hasn't played in a while. Now, maybe he'll get rid of the ball quick, but that giant team's bad now. That giant team's really bad. I mean, and and it really isn't about Eli. It's it's them. I mean, they're bad. All right, Lombardi, we're going to talk about Pat Shermer and what's going on with the uh, Giants and a few more coaches that are uh, potentially on the chopping block. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break right now and come back and talk about those situations with all those coaches. And uh, again, we'll be right back. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... As a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. Let's talk about that Giants team because, uh, you know, we just mentioned the Jaguars and Doug Marone potentially being on the chopping block, and then we, we keep going down, and we got Coach Pat there. Um, is Ben McAdoo, is this good for Ben McAdoo's legacy, Lombardi, that everyone seems to struggle in New York? Uh, you know, pretty much any coach they put into place, and Dave Gettleman is obviously struggling to find his footing there. Daniel Jones has been, you know, he was kind of anointed early on in the season, and then things have gone back the other way, and, you know, they've been dealing with injuries with Saquon and all this other stuff, all these different layers to the Giants, but, but what is what is the culture coach that can go in there and actually make a shift? Or is it what you mentioned earlier with the Mara family where if things don't change at the top, things really aren't ever going to change? I think the Giants are at the point now where the Tish family is like, okay, we've had enough here now. This is enough. 
Like we're mm-hmm. embarrassed. We can't, you know, one thing when you live in New York and you want to go to, you know, you want to go out to dinner, the Giants are going to be on the conversation. I mean, this this isn't like, yes. you know, nobody appears. So when you're when you're one of these owners and you go out to dinner and your team's 2 and 10 and you suck, you're not getting congratulations. You're not getting, oh, we all love you. Don't worry. We're, we're getting, you're getting stares. <laughs> you're getting, you know, you're getting, like, do something about it, man. Do something about this, you know. And I think John Mara is going to get pressure from the Tisch family to change. And I think he's going to have to make some hard decisions because I think John Mara is truly one of the nicest human beings in the National Football League. I think he's a gentleman. I think he doesn't want to make any changes. And I think because he doesn't have enough toughness to make hard decisions, his team has eroded and has gotten worse since he fired McAdoo. McAdoo was 13 and 15. Mm-hmm. And yet now they've gotten worse. And they've traded players. I mean, can you imagine this trade for Beckham? They got a defensive tackle and they got a wide and they got a safety that both players aren't going to end up being they're not you couldn't trade both those players back for Beckham. And I don't think and you know, you know how I feel about Beckham. You know how I think about Ferris Bueller. Yes. You know, so I mean it, it's ridiculous. So this organization, you know, you've got to have an honest conversation. You know, you keep bringing people. You brought Ernie Acorsi in to pick the general manager. Well, who do you think Ernie was going to pick? He's going to pick Gettleman. He got Gettleman the job in Carolina. He wasn't going to open this up. You interviewed Lewis Riddick to make it look good, but you, you know we're going to open it up. You're going to you want to do things the way you want to do it. And I think this conversation between Tish and Mara is going to be more powerful than any conversation between any coach. And until they fix their front office, until they fix their organizational structure, the Giants are going to be two and ten, six and ten. You know they're going to keep being bad. I mean they're going to be bad because they can't even hit with the picks. Well, you know Barkley was a great player. You know you pick Barkley over some really good players. Mm-hmm. You know you pick Barkley over Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you traded down the first round and got somebody else and pick Lamar. But again, and and, and I think Lamar Jackson is almost the poster child for David Tepper. I think because David Tepper wants somebody who's going to see Lamar Jackson's talent and recognize, you know, if I do this and this and this, I'm going to be really good. It's that thinking outside the box mentality that is so needed in this NFL. It, there was a whole line about Washington. Once one blackbird left the line, the other ones all followed. Mm-hmm. That's the NFL to a T. And I, and I think that because there's no creativity, because there's not divergent thinking in the league, we don't have that. Tepper's trying to stir that. The Giants need that desperately. The Giants need somebody to come in who's radical and say, we're doing this and we're changing everything. And the only way you can do that is almost start like an expansion team. Yeah, and we'll see what happens with that. We're going to get the XFL. Maybe those expansion teams will, will offer some, you know, people will take some of those tendencies and try to bring them in the NFL. We'll see what happens with that. But you talked about organizational structure and uh, and sort of changing the guard or thinking outside the box. A team that uh, has not really done that in quite some time, and that's basically because Jerry Jones is that team, and that is the Dallas Cowboys. And another guy, the Clapper, you mentioned Ferris Bueller. We have some great characters that I miss talking about Lombardi, and our favorite uh, <laughs> of all time is Jason the Clapper, Garrett. In fact, so much so that he had tempered his clapping for a little while because I think he was getting a little, you know, he was too aware of the fact that people were calling him this. But Jason Garrett and this Dallas Cowboys team, they are kind of set in stone of who they are. Jerry Jones is sort of doubling down on what this team will be, that this iteration will be able to make a run to go to the Super Bowl. Things aren't necessarily working out. They're a 500 team. They're six and six at the at the at this point in the season. And and when Ryan, Ron Rivera left the Panthers, one of the things I don't, there's a bunch of Cowboys fans in North Carolina Lombardi. I don't know if you know this, but I don't know what it is. But oh, yeah, they're all over. They're all over. And I had a Cowboys fan uh, who came up to me the other day when Ron Rivera got fired, and he said he's perfect for the Cowboys. You know, he'll he'll be silent. You know, but but he'll you know command respect in the locker room. Jerry can still do what he wants to do. Ron's not going to get in the way. Um, 
obviously that's what Jerry Jones wants to have on the sideline. Jason Garrett has sort of fit that role to a T, but they're not getting the goods. They're not delivering um, like, you know, Jerry expects them to do at this point in his life. Is there a world in which you could see like a Ron Rivera type fitting in with the Cowboys to create some sort of quote unquote culture to say the least? Or is it just one of those things where Jerry's not going to remove Jason Garrett because then he removes his proxy version of himself on the sideline? No, he's already admitted he's moving him. He just now he's trying to just, you know, liquidate his losses. I I think Mm -hmm. I think here is I think the reality of the Cowboys and we've beaten up Jason a lot, the clapper. But I think the reality of is I think Jerry wants somebody to help with Dak. I think he wants somebody to he sees he's got all this collection of talent on offense. And I think he likes what he's doing defensively, but he knows he needs a brighter mind on offense. He knows Kellen Moore's not it. He needs somebody on offense to come in there and really challenge it. And I think that's where he's going to go. Okay. I get that. That makes sense. We'll see if Jerry can figure it out. And uh, one last uh, team that I want to talk about as far as like the next iteration of potential guys on the chopping block. Uh, what about Freddie Kitchens, and what about this Cleveland Browns team? Because Lombardi, uh, you obviously were in Cleveland, and uh, you know about sort of you know. What Thanks go- for reminding me. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Lombardi. I was I was trying to bring it up in a, in a nice light way, but uh, Freddie Kitchens and this Cleveland team, uh, they're still trying to find what their identity is. We saw Baker Mayfield uh, last week, you know, hit his hand on that on that deep pass, and you know, his potential injury there, and all that sort of stuff. But there's been a lot of drama going on in Cleveland, and you know, people obviously are pointing fingers at Freddie Kitchens and and that whole situation. Do you? see that team doubling down again and just saying, look, Freddie Kitchens is our guy. Let's lean into year two. Year one just didn't quite work out with injuries and all this other stuff going on behind the scenes. Or do they say, we need to bring someone in, like Ron Rivera, whoever it may be, to create, quote-unquote, that culture, which is going to be the word of the day. Quote-unquote culture. Um, Do you see that happening in Cleveland? That's a good call. Yeah, it seems like a big thing. I mean, Ron Rivera would give them adult supervision in in the building. Yes. I mean, he would give them adult supervision. They need that. They need that badly. I mean, you know, and look, I think Jimmy Haslam, the owner there, he's paying so many coaches. I mean, at some point, he's got to stop and, and, and say, okay, this is my guy. And then what do you do is if John Dorsey, you supposedly have this most talented team. You know, Odell Beckham had under 10 yards of catch last week. I mean, you know, the receiver that makes all the plays is Landry. It isn't Beckham because the quarterback can't really get the ball to Beckham. I mean, I think I think the Browns have bigger issues than it's just Freddie. I think how good is Baker? And that's for a podcast for another day, but how good is Baker? <laughs> um, Lombardi, you again, as I mentioned, 36-19-1 against the spread this season. Uh, this is something that I, I was always impressed, Lombardi, when you did your picks on Friday. We used to do our Friday pick show, and, and, and things would always work out well where you would look like a genius to me. And I would, you know, that's when Gridiron Genius was getting pumped out to the world. So <laughs> it was always a lot of fun. Uh, uh, to, to see that come to fruition. So I'm happy to be back and get your picks. I've had a good year this year. You know, I've done this power ranking thing and it's really worked out well for me. And, yep. you know, this this week, you know, and I've kind of picked four games that I like. And I think and when, one of the games, I think, you know, the one game that I really like is, you know, that when you break them down and I think Denver, for example, Denver playing the Houston Texans. Now, everybody thinks, okay, you know, Houston's coming off a big win. Well, I, th- I think there's too many points in this game. I mean, one of my, my metrics says this should be about a five-point game, and I think it's up at nine and a half. So I don't love the Denver Broncos, but my numbers say you got to take the Denver Broncos in this game, and I think I'm going to take the Broncos. I think, to me, what I've tried to do with this thing is try to take emotion out of it. And I think when you can take emotion out of it, it becomes a lot less trying to figure out, second-guess yourself. Or, you know, I think we make too much of, well, this team had a bad week last week, so they're going to play shitty this week. It's really about the matchup, you know. And I think when you look at Denver, Denver's done a really good job of holding quarterbacks to under seven yards per pass attempt. They've done a good job of slowing the game. They can run the football effectively. I think they'll run the ball on, on, on Houston. And I think Houston, when they after the week that they had, 
I mean, I think this is a good team to play because Houston, Denver is a really good defensive team. They've done a good job. Now, they have a hard time closing wins out, but I'm going to take the points in, in Denver. Okay, so we'll take the Broncos there. We're going to be playing at Houston, of course, in that game. Broncos 4-8 and on the year. Houston 8-4. and four. And, and Deshaun Watson, uh, a guy that we talked about when he first came into the league, Lombardi, I mean, he sort of seems like he's finally getting to that. I remember Dabo Sweeney said he was a lot like Michael Jordan, uh, you know, but as a football player, and a lot of people laughed and kind of scoffed at that comment. But Deshaun continues to grow into the, the quarterback we kind of thought he would be coming out in that class. And, of course, everyone brings up, you know, he was drafted after, you know, uh, Mitchell Trubisky. and then you had MVP. Yeah, MVP, of course. Yeah, of course. And and as you look at Deshaun Watson, he's finally getting to actual MVP form. It seems at some level. So uh, I, I like your pick with the points with the Broncos, but I have been very impressed uh, with what I've seen with Houston and Deshaun Watson. So I just wanted to point that out. Let's go to the biggest uh, marquee game of the weekend. We got the 49ers uh, in the NFC at least. We got the 49ers traveling down to New Orleans. Both teams uh, ten and two right now. Lombardi, when you look at this game, obviously the 49ers. Tough game uh, against the Ravens last week, uh, but they're going to go down to New Orleans right now and see you know, if they really are, quote-unquote, uh, the class of the NFC. When you look at this game, Lombardi, do you see the 49ers being able to go down to New Orleans and make some noise? I do. I really do. I think the best thing about the 49ers has been, you know, their defense has played well. I know they're 2-2 two and two in the last four games, but each of their two games have been decided by three points. So you know they're always in close games. And they've been able to throw the ball down the field. They average over 8-2-6 yards per attempt in these games but I think you know what I think's really been impressive is the fact that they've allowed just 4.77 yards per attempt and two plays over 25 yards in the last two games I mean this pass defense has been really good and the Saints haven't been really explosive they're just 6.8 yards per attempt they've had seven touchdowns I mean Breeze is great with the ball but I think this defensive front will create some problems for Breeze and the Saints offense they've got to stop Camaro I like this to be a lower scoring game than most people think, but I like the Niners to cover the points. I'll take the I'll take the road dog here. And it is interesting because that 49ers team, I mean, they you talk about toughness and the, the ability to kind of stay in games, even when they've struggled to kind of find what what they can get together with the offensive sets with, you know, Shanahan and Garoppolo and everything. It seems like the defense has been able to keep them in games. Um, so, yeah, that would be something to keep out, keep an eye on. And next up, we got uh, the Seattle Seahawks keeping in the NFC. We got the Seahawks 10 and 2 uh, traveling down to the Rams, 7 and 5. Rams kind of got themselves back together, got a little bit of juice um, going down to Arizona, and, and they had a nice game down there. And Sean McVay was able to, you know, kind of get some good faith back on his side a little bit with the general public it seems at least when you look at the Seahawks and Russell Wilson I think I saw a stat Lombardi he was the first quarterback to have seven straight winning seasons coming out um, and obviously he was mic'd up last week and a lot of people were talking about sort of the leadership qualities and intangibles that Russell Wilson has we both know that we've seen that for quite some time do you see the Seahawks keeping this role and going down to Los Angeles and kind of showing that they are the team to beat in the NFC West this year you know, my numbers say take Seattle here, and just I'm mm-hmm. just going to lay this out. My numbers say Seattle should be a five-point favorite in the game based on my numbers, but I think the Rams are going to win the game. I'm going to go with the Rams here only because I think the Rams are running girly. I think they're coming off a good week. You know, when you go back to the game that they played uh, early in the season, the Rams had a chance to win that as Zerline makes a field goal. And I think the Rams will throw the football effectively. I think Sean McVay knows how to attack this team pretty well. I think it'll be an up-and-down game. I think the, the Seattle's due for a road loss. I do. I think you, it's hard to be 7-0 and on the road. It's hard to go undefeated on the road. And I think playing at home is going to help the Rams slow down that pass rush. And I think Goff, with all their weapons back, my numbers say, if you just want to go with my numbers, my number says Seattle by 5. I'm going to take the Rams here. 
Oh, wow. So uh, congratulations to all the L.A. Rams fans that are completely back on the bandwagon after last week in Arizona. Lombardi, uh, it sounds like, you know, you're kind of buying back into Sean McVay. I, and I enjoyed because Sean McVay, he's one of those coaches we both know. He he tends to take it, you know, to the chest when they do lose and, and takes the blame. And it seems like that team was able to turn things around a little bit. And Jalen Ramsey in that secondary seemed like they were kind of clicking on the same page for the first time, which is good to see. And then we'll do our fourth game and final game, Lombardi. we got the Pittsburgh Steelers 7-5, and five, Mike Tomlin a guy that people are talking about potential, you know, maybe coach of the year guy at this point. He's going to travel down with his team to the Arizona 3-8-1, of course, with Kyler Murray. Uh, when you look at the Steelers going down the Cardinals, obviously the Cardinals struggled last week, like I said, against the Rams. Do you see the Steelers going down there and handling business, or the Cardinals bounce back? You know, I, I'm going to take the Cardinals as, as the home dog here. I think it's it's a good play. I, I think the line is a little bit skewed. I think the Cardinals have been playing better uh, uh, off the bye week. I didn't like them last week off the bye, mm. but I like them this week. I think the Steelers just don't run the ball. And I love the Duckster. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge Duckster fan. <laughs> but I think, you know, when the home team gets more than two points, and I think Kyler Murray will be able to attack in the secondary, I think they'll be able to throw the football effectively. And, and I just, I like Arizona in this game only because I think they'll be able to to throw the football on Pittsburgh. I think it's Pittsburgh's Achilles heel. Plus, I don't think Pittsburgh will score a lot of points. I mean, Arizona will be able to hopefully handle the run. Pittsburgh doesn't run. And the Ducksters made a few plays down the field that he's kind of been fortunate about. I love the Duckster, but I'm taking the Cardinals here. Okay, perfect. So let's run those down again. We got 49ers going down to the Saints. Lombardi believes in the 49ers there. We got the Ram we got the Seahawks going down to the Rams. Lombardi believes the Rams will be able to hold their own. We got the Broncos in points against the Texans. And of course, like you just said, we got the Cardinals against the Steelers and the and the Cardinals are able hopefully to figure it out with Kyler Murray. Uh, we're gonna take one more break and then we're gonna come back and talk about, like I said, Mike Tomlin. He, he's potentially the front runner to be the coach of the year. And let's see if he's actually a lock. Plus, we got Lombardi and I are gonna come back and talk about Jim Harbaugh, what's going on with Michigan and you know what what basically his future will be there and if any of this stuff matters with his legacy all that and more will be right back after this break The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, we are back. I uh, appreciate this. GM Shuffle, I am having a great time, Lombardi. Uh, as we move on here, we have Joe's question of the week. Joe, are you ready to drop this big question on us? I'm very excited to be asked a question. <laughs> this is going to be great. 
Oh, I'm ready. So the overwhelming consensus around the league is that if Mike Tomlin makes the playoffs and the Steelers make it there, that he should win Coach of the Year. However, if the Steelers don't make the playoffs, who do you think is worthy of the award this year? If Tomlin doesn't make the playoffs, who's worthy for Coach of the Year award? Well, I mean, obviously Kyle Shanahan. I think Pete Carroll. I think Pete Carroll's done a remarkable job. He's got 10 wins. He's in first place. I think, and then I think John Harbaugh. Let me let me say, I think at the end of the day, it's John Harbaugh, mm-hmm. willing to be adaptive, changes offense, right? Tay Frazier. Yes. I think you know you got to give it to Harbaugh. Ten wins. You know nobody thought Lamar Lamar Jackson was the thirty second pick in the first round, the last of all the quarterbacks. I'll go John Harbaugh here. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly what we mentioned earlier, Lombardi. You were talking about you, Tepper is looking for a guy that's willing to make those changes and not kind of stay static. And I think what John Harbaugh and that Ravens team has shown this year, and especially the way that they've all bought in with Lamar Jackson. I saw when Lamar had that fumble, I think it was his first fumble of the season, You know, he was going around and you know basically apologizing to everyone, and everyone's like, don't apologize to us. We we got you. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? And I think just what John Harbaugh has been able to do with that team buying in, I think he's he's my pick uh, for Coach of the Year as well. So uh, we stay aligned there, Lombardi, which is nice. Joe, great question. I really appreciate that question. That was perfect. <laughs> it is. It's a harder question than you think it is because there's a lot of good coaching going on. A lot of bad coaching going on, but there's a lot of good coaching going on. Absolutely. And uh, John Harbaugh is one of those guys that continues to do it. Uh, let's get into the GM Shuffle mailbag here. Uh, we got a question from Artem from Longmont, Colorado, and he says, uh, Lombardi, Ohio State has won 15 out of the past 16 meetings. Both teams have undergone coaching changes and have had some recruiting classes of varying strength, but it seems like there's something else systematic going on here. Why can't the Wolverines ever beat Ohio State? And again, 0-5 John Harbaugh with this uh, Michigan team. I mean, Jim Harbaugh with this Michigan team. I I keep thinking about John Harbaugh because he's doing so great. But Jim Harbaugh, (laughs) Jim Harbaugh is not doing. Yeah, it's a Harbaugh day. Uh, He's not doing so great against Ohio State. Is it is it mental at this point, Lombardi, or is it just one of those things where somehow or another it's just not working out for Harbaugh against Ohio State? I think it's just not. I think he's got to get better players. I think they got to do a better job recruiting. I think they got to get more talent. I think this year they had a scheme that could handle it. I think they need to diversify their defensive package. I mean, Don Brown plays too much man, and you go against a quarterback. Look, I think we wouldn't be having this conversation if the NC2A didn't allow Justin Fields to not have to sit out a year, which is most remarkable, right? So I think you can't overreact. I do think Jim will get it figured out eventually, but he's got to get it figured out in terms of scheme. It's got to be coaching scheme and players, and I think that's really what it comes down to. To me, right here is players, and they got to alter their scheme. They can't play this much man-to-man. It is interesting, Lombardi, as you were watching that game. I mean, it did seem at one point like the Ohio State offensive line was just manhandling that front, you know, seven for Michigan at whatever point, and I don't know if that's, you know, comes down to like the question from Artem here, which is talking about the recruiting classes of varying strength or what it may be, but Michigan wasn't able to match up. Uh, but the interesting thing that I've figured out is, or at least hearing from Michigan fans, is that no one that's really all blue, you know, held to the victors type personality, they're not asking for Jim Harbaugh to be fired. It seems like the national media really wants everyone to turn on Jim Harbaugh because of the the struggles against Ohio State, but I haven't heard it really internally. So how long is that leash with Harbaugh in Michigan, or is that good favor of him coming back and it kind of lasts you know, as long as he wants to be there? Because it seems like it. I think the fundamental question is, is who are we replacing him with? Like, okay, we don't like uh-huh. Harbaugh. Who's the next coach? Who's a Michigan man that's going to come in here and fix it? Like, we're winning. We're not beating Ohio State, but we got to get this fixed. I think patience might be the virtue here. Yeah, that's uh, and, and you were mentioning guys that could potentially be replacements. I mean, I, as I'm running through, you know, the list of people. I mean, like a Lincoln Riley, but he's not a Michigan guy. He's an offensive minded guy. That wouldn't really make sense. I mean, just so as far as big splashy names that could come in, 
nothing really is remarkable unless that maybe they hire John Harbaugh. I don't know. We'll, we'll, I guess they'll figure it out in Michigan <laughs> uh, at some point. We'll see. Uh, I got to do something selfishly here before we, we head out, Lombardi. And I got to ask you about our boy, Mr. Five Star, Mr. Mac Brown. And uh, Oh, you're loving come- it, aren't you? Sam Howell. <laughs> oh, it's the best. Sam Howell. You better repeat. go to the bowl game tape, Frazier. Oh, absolutely. My parents and I have already talked about it. If we're going to the Pinstripe Bowl in New York, uh, that's a guaranteed we're going to go up there and watch that game. We'll, we'll see what happens. Sam Howell, uh, the quarterback for North Carolina, wins Rookie of the Year. He's third team All-ACC uh, in his freshman season. Mac Brown gets this program kind of turned around a little bit. They beat South Carolina at the beginning of the season. I was at that game. Six and six right now. They're bowl eligible. Um they're recruiting five stars again, uh, so and and you just look at you just look at Mac Brown coming back, Lombardi. You know what do you what are your thoughts on that, and what does it show about someone like Mac who can he he seems almost timeless at this point. He's like fine wine. You know, I think he did a good job picking a staff. I think Jay Bateman's a really good defensive coach. I think the offensive coach, I think yep. it's Longo, right? I think he's done a good job there. Yep. And, they, and, you know, look, he got a good good quarterback. And I think he's got this program, you know, going back to where – look, there's you know, you're an alumnus of the school. There's no reason this shouldn't be one of the most dominant football teams in the country. I don't care about basketball. They should be dominating in, in football too. They're really good. So my sense of it is is – is that's great, and I love the fact that a, that an older guy can be youthful in his appearance. I mean, him dancing after beating South Carolina <laughs> was hilarious. I mean, that's one of the great moves of all time. So I'm happy for him. I'm happy for you. I, I think it's it's good. I mean, the ACC stinks this year, but that bit not being said, I mean, look, he had Clemson down to the wire. Absolutely. And I love this Sam Howe. I think this Sam Howe kid's really good. I think he's going to be really good. And I think if he continues to grow, he's going to be a first round pick. Absolutely. And I uh, he's already breaking records that Mitchell Trubisky set. Your boy. MVP Mitch, so that's always a good thing to see early on in his career. And, uh, you know, Mac Brown has really just kind of brought back the juice to Carolina football. And like you said, it's not about age, it's about the energy and it's about the attitude that you bring into the building. And Mac Brown has completely, you know, kind of reshuffled the deck in Chapel Hill. So it's very exciting to see. And everyone is saying Mac is back. The basketball team is not so great now. So maybe this is all working out for the football uh, program in the future. So this is all setting up great. <laughs> all right, Lombardi, last point here before we get out of here. And uh, I got to go watch uh, some tape of Mac Brown and, and get my. <laughs> <laughs> back excited about all things Carolina football. Uh, let's talk about the Thursday night game we got coming up ahead. Uh, or you got any main thoughts about what's going to happen tonight uh, as we move on into the uh, the weekend of uh, football as we get back into it? I mean, if the Clapper loses tonight, he might not be on the plane flying home. Yep. I mean, he might not be on that plane flying home. It's going to be interesting to see Mitchell Trubisky play in cold weather. I mean, it's not going to be real cold, but we saw the last time when he played against the Rams it was pad. I think it's going to be at least a mild night tonight. So, I mean, this is a game that – Look, the, the the Cowboys should win. I mean, they can throw the football. They can protect. As long as they help out on Khalil Mack, with, with whether it's the right or left tackle, and help him, they can throw the football on the secondary. Prince of Makamura is not going to play in the game. The second You can throw the ball. This this Bears defense has not been great all year. They've just kind of, you know, Detroit Lions, David Blau moved the ball. I like the Cowboys here because I think their speed, their quickness on defense will create problems for MVP Mitch, and they need to get after him. We'll see what happens. I'm hoping Mitchell can show up tonight, Lombardi, and maybe prove. He, he showed a little bit of moxie on Thanksgiving. I was happy to see that. So we'll see if he can keep it up. And, of course, like you said, if Jason Garrett uh, is not able to deliver and get this team over 500, uh, he will not be clapping anymore on the sidelines. He will probably be just like I am, just at home clapping uh, on his own couch. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that all works out. This has been great, Lombardi. I, I've really enjoyed uh, being back on the line with you. I love you being back. Make sure you tell your parents I said hello. Of course. Please tell Millie I said hello. Oh, she's she's ready to go. Absolutely. And we'll see you Sunday, right? You'll be here with us Sunday. 
Yes, sir. I will be back on Sunday. We will break down all these games. And, uh, yeah, we'll have a nice weekend of football. We'll be sure to be, you know, texting and tweeting about all things that are going on. And I'm, I'm happy to be talking about football professionally again, Lombardi. So I appreciate you letting me do this. This is great. That's awesome. Thank you, Tate Frazier. Thank you, Lombardi. And we'll be back on Sunday. <laughs>